I'm taken back to six years ago today. Dina smiled. I think she remembers. I stood here for the first time. I was not your pastor. But I would be by the end of the service. I'll never forget Ray coming to get me. And he said, well, it was, he told me, the, the search committee said, listen, we want you to preach in view of a call and word out this Sunday before Thanksgiving. And they said, we want you to stay, which is usually highly irregular. Uh, usually you preach in view of a call, you go off, vote later, and then you let, let them know. But they asked me to stay, and I was a little uncomfortable about that. I said, well, we'll go next door. And uh, I told Ray, I said, uh, listen, if it goes our way, come and get us. But if it doesn't, just wave at us, and we'll know to go on our way. And uh, he came and got us. And uh, I'm just thankful this morning uh, that six years ago, God led my family and I to Eastside Baptist Church in Claxton, Georgia. What a joy it is. It's not always been fun, uh, but it has always been joyful. If you read James, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's dark days. If, if you live very long, you'll see dark days. But you'll also see the magnificent, powerful, awesome power of God. And I just, uh, if, if, just to make it very clear, if your name begins in anything from A to Z, I'm thankful for you today. Uh, I'm thankful for all of our musicians. I'm thankful for our choir. I'm thankful for our deacons. I'm thankful for uh, our servant leaders who serve in so many roles and in so many various capacities. And by the way, we, we want to make sure that we let everyone know uh, how much we're thankful for you. And so you, you got your card about our appreciation supper. We've moved that. There's just so much going on in December that we don't want to take away. And, and you have to miss it because of your children's Christmas parties and your work Christmas parties and all, city Christmas parties and uh, ball banquets and things like that. And so we're going to be moving it to January, January the 8th. And so I, I, we, we just talked about that this week, and we were in total agreement that many more will be able to be here for that day. So if you come that December 4th or 5th, um, you may be able to catch up with a football banquet or a wildlife club or city of Claxton Christmas party, but we'll not be having one here. So know we're thankful for you and our thankfulness runs past Christmas. We're going to be thankful January 8th. So don't forget that Romans chapter one. I don't know that I've ever looked at a Thanksgiving message quite this way. But I want us to look at this scripture this morning. And for failure to come up with a really new 
cool title. I just simply titled this morning an attitude of gratitude. Really, it is about our attitude. Someone said sometimes our attitude determines our altitude. Where we rise and fall is based on our thankfulness in the face of an awesome God. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, understand, I I need to lay this groundwork. Because when I start preaching about being thankful in all situations, you're going to say, in your heart and in your mind, you don't know what I'm going through right now. I don't. For most, I don't. But I do know who Paul was writing to based on the historicity of the book, on uh, historical writers such as Tacitus and others. We know that they were in the face of probably the greatest persecution the church had ever known. They had come through Nero and Titus and many others who had wholesale slaughtered Christians. And yet Paul wrote, The theme of the entire book in verses 16 and 17 when he tells them that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we ought to live and walk and exist through faith. But I want to look a few verses later in verse 21. Because you see, Paul was speaking to a Gentile church, those who had been Gentiles but led to Christ and uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the grafting in, they had been born again. That does not mean their problems went away. And so he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither. Were they thankful? The United States of America and the church in America has been blessed beyond measure. We have the privilege to come today. And even though we live under what we call the new normal and we've seen the dastardly events of the last few weeks and few months and the world we're living in today, we are still awesomely blessed. Amen? But I believe that if we look in this context at all, and we're going to expand on it, when we really delve into it and we look at the root problem in our lives today, in the church at Rome, in the Gentile believers of this time and of today... It's not that we get up one morning and we say, you know what, I'm going to believe a false doctrine. It's not that we get up one morning and decide, you know what, I believe I'm going to start being an atheist. It starts with this little phrase in verse 21, neither were they thankful. We've stopped being thankful. I don't know about you, but it absolutely irks my nerves to hold the door for someone And they can't take a second of breath to say thank you. I can't stand for the ungratefulness of young people who think that the world is owed to them. And when someone gives them something, 
They can't stop and look an adult in the face and say, thank you. When someone lends a hand and we just expect that's what they're there to do. Neither were they thankful. I've got news for you today. God does not exist for our every whim. We do not come today that God will somehow smile and say, I'm so glad you, you, you've made my day. We come that we may glorify His name. It's not about our preference. It's not about how we got too cold or too hot or too long or too short or our preferences of music, message, or anything else. We have come to worship our God. And when we miss out on what the motivation in that worship is, that he deserves all thanksgiving, then we've missed the mark. We have missed the mark. It must come back to an attitude of gratitude. It said, they were not thankful. He said, no, they didn't glorify him as God, even though they knew him. Why? Because they were not thankful. Well, let's start with the positive side of, of thankfulness. Look in verse 8. First, he says. First. Is that what your verse starts with? It's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? Paul begins his entire 16 chapter book to the church at Rome by his salutation giving his credentials, but then he begins. He dives right off the cliff into the meat, and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You see, we must develop and expand and understand and exercise the fullness of thankfulness. Thankfulness. You know why people are so depressed and despondent? They don't look around in thankfulness for what they do have. It's so easy to look at what we don't, isn't it? You know, I could come every Sunday and look at the empty chairs and focus on them. Or I could focus on the ones that are taken. It's in perspective. We can look at things and if you've ever been around someone who is dying in grace and they exercise that and you go to minister to them and you end up walking away being ministered to, you've seen the face of thankfulness. When they say, oh, I've lived a good life. God has blessed me. Hey, don't be sad. I'm going to glory. I know in whom my uh, uh, Savior is. I, I know my Redeemer lives. Listen, it starts with acknowledging God. He said, first, I thank my God. I don't know about you, there's days I've walked through this world like there is no God. But the fact is, without God, we do not have a walk to walk. There is no earth. There is no air. If you got up and breathe, uh, listen, I see these signs all the time, and, and I get it. I get it. Listen, I don't mean any disrespect. It says, 
uh, uh, you know, if you ate today, thank a farmer. Uh, if you got a, if you got something, you got clothes on your back. Thank a trucker. I get all that. It takes farmers. It takes truckers. But if you got up, if you even if you didn't get up, if you woke up and you took a breath, thank God. Thank God for the farmer. Thank God for the trucker. Thank God that you have breath to breathe and a life to live. It's easy to look at you, sweet, precious children. When they're four or five years old and they're learning, is just uh, their, their learning curve is so huge and they're learning stuff every day. They say you'll learn more from the age of zero to seven than you will from seven to the end of your life. Think about it. You learn how to eat, you learn how to talk, you learn how to write, you learn how to interact, you learn how to go to the restroom, you look how, learn how to dress yourself, you learn all these things. And it's so cool to look at that. And then you look over there at your 16-year-old who knows everything. It won't clean up the room, you know, and, and it smells like a locker room. And, and so you just, you know, it's just easier to avoid it. Just put them on the other end of the house, you know. And, 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 you, and you start, you're like, wow. You know, when you get that new puppy, and it's a puppy. Oh, he's so sweet. Oh, it doesn't matter. He chewed in our furniture. He's a beautiful little puppy. And then they get a little older and they pee where they want to, you know, and they tear up your favorite pair of boots. They're not so sweet anymore. You're not quite as thankful for that puppy. You you know, we, we miss the point, but the whole point is they're still your child. They're still your dog. They're still the things in life. And so many times in our life, we look at the instance of the immediacy of problems in our life. And we're just not thankful. He said, first. See, we got to put first things first. Matthew Henry, that famous commentarian, said, The alpha and the omega of every song, in everything to give thanks. Keeping first things first. That means even in the darkest of times, we thank God. We thank God that he's there for the hard times. We thank him that there's good times that differentiates between hard times. Think, if everything was hard, then you would know it was hard. It was just, it'd be life. But we know it's a hard time because we've had good times. Right? Right? I mean, come on now. There are dark days because there's light. And we ought to be thankful in the face of this. Listen, acknowledging God in our existence without him... We do not exist. And then he says, I'm not just thankful to my God. I'm thankful for my God through Jesus Christ. You see, it's a thankfulness because he's thankful for for the fact that he has access to God through Jesus Christ. Thankful for Jesus Christ. He he tells us that Jesus is our bread of life. He said, my God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 6, 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. We ought to be thankful for the access 
God through Jesus that we have the living bread of life. You know what he said in that text? He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. And they're dead. There are people in places of worship today. And please, church, listen. We are to be loving. We ought to be giving. But we are not to be accepting in the fullest sense of capitulation and compromise other places of worship that do not recognize the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. You understand what I just said and all that? We're to love Mormons. We're to love Jehovah's Witnesses and lead them to the truth. But we're not to say, oh, well, all roads lead to one. They're real sincere and they're great. A very famous grinning leader of a very large group of worshipers in Texas once stated on Larry King Live that he said, you know, Larry... I just, uh, I, I don't like to use the word sin. Now, I've got transcripts now. You say, oh, preacher, make this. No, no, I heard it, and then I went online and printed it out for evidence. And he, he was asked, he said, well, what about all the Hindus and all of the other people in foreign religions and other places across the globe and across in, in Eastern Europe and things like that and, and in Asia? He said, well, Larry... I've been over there before, and, and you know, uh, they're real sincere. And so, you know, God understands their sincerity. I've got news for you. God doesn't take us to glory based on sincerity. Because we can be sincerely wrong. But what we must do is understand our access to the Father comes through the Son. And when we do that, we thank Him and Him alone. Right? Do you understand? Now, I don't want to be belligerent about this fact, but I want you to gra grasp this. When we pray, do we not pretty much wholesale all of us? We'll say Heavenly Father or something like that. But we, we'll say, in Jesus help... Jesus this, Jesus. but you know what? Technically, we're not to pray to Jesus, we're to pray to the Father. But we only get there through Jesus. Now, Jesus is God, and so I, I don't want to be overly technical. But you see, you can pray to God, but if you leave Jesus out, you're not getting there. Right? That's why we may start and should start our Father... Heavenly Father, my dad, repetitively throughout his prayer says, Dear Heavenly Father, and Dear Heavenly Father. You know, and that used to just drive me insane. Daddy, why do you say it so much? And the older I got, the more I realized because he highly respects and adores and honors who he's talking to. You know, there was a joke at the convention the other day. When, when you start... You, you know more pastors, you see a bunch of pastors, you recognize them because you only see them once a year. It ends up that you use terms like brother and sport and pal. You use that a lot, you know. You, you can't go wrong, hey, brother. That means I don't know your name. 
Or, or, or if they shake your hand and they're looking at your chest, they're trying to, and, and the, the name tag gets backwards, you know, and it flips, and you're like, oh, no, I can't call them blank. You know, oh, bro, and then brother just pops out there. But, you know, if somebody looks you in the eyes and calls you by name repetitively, then you feel a place of belonging. You feel an appreciation. You feel a, a, a connection. Well, guess what? The Bible tells us that our Father knows us by name because the shepherd does, who is the shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. And there's a personal relationship. He said, we have access to God through Jesus, God, uh, through Jesus Christ. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Thankfulness acknowledges God. It's thankful for access to God through Jesus, but then it embraces His will. It embraces His will. Look with me. He said, first, verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. When we're thankful, our thankfulness embraces God's will. It doesn't shun it. It doesn't run from it. I don't, I don't know about you, but the most miserable times in my life have been the days of running from God's will. When I know God's will, God's clearly spoken His will into my life, and I've openly disobeyed His will. I've chosen my own path. I've went off script. I've decided to do it my way. I've got a bad habit. A really, really, really bad habit. Working in construction and working around cars and things like that, I've always looked for the quicker, easier path. And there's been a few times that I've actually found it. But most of the time, the tried and true method is the right method. And it's not the easiest path that can be taken. So many times, what looked like I could cut the corner off simply ran into a dead end. And I made a mess. You know what you end up doing? Backtracking and going the way you need to go. I'm going to tell you, if you're trying to cut the corners on God's will, you're not really thankful for His plan for your life. He has an exact plan for your life. Be thankful that it's not just some mishmash, pull it out of a bag type routine. God has a life-specific plan for your life. Embrace it and be thankful for it. But you know what we do? We look at someone else and say, why, I, why can't I do that? What? God, you must appreciate them more than you appreciate me. But the fact is, as a body of Christ, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. I can't cook. If y'all depended on me for Christmas, Thanksgiving, and wild game banquet stuff, 
listen, you'd probably eat, eat scrambled eggs every single time. I can scramble an egg. I can really, really scramble an egg well. But that's it. I can cook a cheeseburger. It takes me all day, and it looks like you have cooked seven-course meal in the kitchen when I'm done, but I can, I can, cook, a, I can cook a cheeseburger. That's it. That's it. I, I, you know, but that's not who I am. We must embrace God's will for us. He said in verse 10, by the will of God. Here's the problem. Ephesians 5.20. When we're not thankful for today, when we're not thankful for what God has done in our life. Listen, Ephesians 5.20 says it this way. Giving thanks always for all things. Thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you thank God for problems? How do you thank God for sickness? When we're open to God's will in our life, we realize what Joseph did in Genesis 50, 20. When he said, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. God does not ordain evil, but God can work a purpose in the midst of the most evil situations in our life. Sickness, death, financial issues, Mental illness, every kind of thing that can go wrong in this world, God can be glorified in it. He can. God can do great things with great heartache. We need to be thankful for today. Giving thanks always for all things. Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's where we... Go wrong. Verse 21. Neither were they thankful. Why? It says there's other things besides this, but this is kind of the cornerstone of it. It said because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful. If they were thankful for God... And thankful to God. Don't you think they would know God? Don't you think they would glorify God? Is there times in your life where you didn't know God, but when you grew and you knew God, you glorified Him, and in glorifying Him by your life, you thanked Him for the privilege of being His child. Right? It's not both. It's either one or the other. You're either walking with God or you're walking away from God. You're either embracing Him or ignoring Him. You're either glorifying Him or going your own way. And so it leads to an ungodly thinking. An ungodly thinking. What happens? It's the negation of truth. We live in a world that teaches subjectivity. That truth is subjective. Not objective. You see, an objective truth says what's true for me is true for everyone. But the world teaches a, subject, a subjective truth which says, well, what's true for me may not be true for you. And what you say is true, I may disagree and say it's not true for me. But the truth is the truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And he's the truth whether you accept him or not. Here's truth. Here's truth. You want to hear truth? The truth is, God is the creator. 
In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was God in all things. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. We need to understand the truth is God is God. But tell me the truth. You've experienced probably something or someone in your life this week that says that's not the case. There is no God. Or we can't know God. That's the difference in atheism and agnosticism. And we have become so pumped up in ourselves, so ungrateful. That's what the word here, thankful, in this verse 21 really means. It means just ungrateful. We're just ungrateful. You know, when you sit down at a table of food, here's the rule when I was growing up. They didn't make us eat something we didn't want to eat. Okay? So maybe they were liberals. I don't know. But here's what they did do. If you put it on your plate, you ate it. Because we didn't waste it. If it... Daddy said, you can always reach back. That was his term. You can always reach back. You eat as much as you want of what's on this table. But if it leaves the pot, it goes on the plate, it goes in your mouth. Now, there's been times where I had to sit there and it sat on the table and I had to go back several hours later. Because we would put up, still to this day, my daddy would say that much of something. I'll go into the refrigerator and look. I'll say, what is this? What do y'all, you start a mouse factory? That's all, I mean, what are you going to feed with this? Oh no, just leave it alone. That's my, and they'll get this out and this out and there'll be 17 little Tupperware, little glad, little snap it things sitting all out. And here's my daddy's words. They get done. He gets up. He said, well, we made it one more time. But you know, in saying that, he grew up in a different generation than I did. Dad was born in 1934. My daddy remembers what it was like to have sugar and coffee, gas rationed. He remembers the hard times. You see, my granddad used to make us sit down. He wouldn't buy new nails. He'd find all, and not just, bent nails. He would make me sit down with a bucket of bent nails and an empty bucket, and I'd had to straighten them out. So it drove my little brother insane, and people who worked for me, and it drove me insane when we'd be out on the job, and we got nail guns, this blah, 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 and you'd have to change size of nails, and there'd be a clip, a regular clip of nails would be about this long, there'd be a clip of five or six nails, and they're thrown on the ground and stuff like that. I'd pick them all up. I could not, I could not walk over them. It cost me more money and time probably. I get it. But there's a principle there. I'd pick them up and sitting there during break or during lunch, I'd take my hammer and I'd break them apart. Fill my nail, I'd break them apart. Put them up. Put them up. Because that's what daddy instilled in me. And he understood the hard times of times that, and you know what it really was saying? I'm thankful for what I got. And I'm not 
Don't ignore it. You see, in our lives, we have developed this ungodly thinking. It's a negation of truth. That if there's no truth, there's no acknowledgement. We don't... We don't we don't have to acknowledge God. We, and what are we living in today? Where we take out our very principles that this country was established on. They don't want to hear God in the public market. They don't want to hear God on our public buildings. Listen, at the top, at the top of the Washington Monument, the capstone that covers the very top of it, has Isaiah 55 written on it. It has Leviticus, I believe, chapter 23, maybe 19, that's cast on the Liberty Bell. There's scripture all throughout the United States of America looking down on the Speaker of the House in the United States House of Representatives. It's none other than a portrait of Moses, the lawgiver with scripture imprinted on stone behind the speaker's well. And yet we want to do away with it. The very Senate, where in questioning candidates for judgeships and others, asked and gave the idea, you're too religious, opens still to this day with the chaplain of the Senate having prayer every day. But we, like the football team at East Coweta County, Georgia, must stand up to the bullies and the thugs of this world and protect our brothers and sisters in Christ when they told their coach he couldn't even bow his head, much less lead. He couldn't even be associated with the students if they prayed. They gathered around him, blocked him in, and stood in front of the whole crowd and prayed. Not in a sign of arrogance, but in a stand for what is right. Just for some good news, I read an article this weekend. It stated that a mall, I believe it is, in Texas, the first thing that they were building in this mall was the Ten Commandments in stone. Right out front. Is it any... Is it any surprise that we've taken the Ten Commandments out of the halls of justice? We've taken God out of our schools, the situation we're in now. God said, well, you told me you didn't want me there. And look at what we're living in. Church, we live in a society that has negated truth, just like in Rome. There was no acknowledgement. It was hedonism. It was whatever makes you feel good. It was Epicurean, uh, Epicureanism. That's a word that's actually in Revelation. The Epicureans said, if it feels good, do it. Don't that sound like our generation today? There's no acknowledgement of God. Let me ask you, when's the last time in your home you acknowledged God? It's not enough that you write one scripture or some cool little thing that you got at some home interior decorating party. But living it to where it's more than just written on the walls of your house. It's written on the door of your heart. 
so that it comes out in your conversation. No, listen, we've negated truth in ungodly thinking. He, he tells us in verse 21, because when they knew God, they did not glorify Him, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. No truth means no accountability. Right? Why did we all want to get out from under, move out, get out from under our parents? Because we wanted our own authority. We wanted to do it our way until we realized our way meant our names were printed on the bills that came to our address. Yeah. You know, when our parents said, fine, you got your own place. Here's your own bills. Want to give you that as a housewarming present. We want no accountability. I've told you this before, but we're hooked on live PD. I admit it. Um, and there's a couple others in here that I, I've not recorded it. I've watched reruns, but we watch it. I mean, Friday and Saturday night, 9 to 12. We're going to watch live PD. And the junk these folks come up with. Sheriff, last night a girl got a woman. She's a grown woman. She's at least mine. She gets stopped, suspended license. First of all, she said, I don't, tell me why. She, he said, ma'am, all, all I know is I run it and suspended. Why well, I haven't done anything. She starts trying to blame these other police officers. Well, you know... He said, ma'am, there's 300 in my department. I don't know all of them personally. I don't know if they wrote you a ticket or not. What I do know is I run your information. Your license is suspended. You're not going to drive. So the way she dealt with it is he said he was the most patient, loving police officer I've ever met in my life. This guy ought to give classes to everyone on how to deal with this stuff. He said, ma'am, you know, just get somebody to pick you up and then you can get somebody to come pick your car. So in some different dimension and space continuum in her mind, it was a dangerous place. You just look in her eyes. There was a dangerous place in there. She said, just have it towed. He said, you realize you're going to lose it. I don't care. What am I going to do? I can't drive. And blah, blah, blah. He said, but ma'am, you can get somebody to come get your car. I don't. Just have it towed. You understand you're going to have to pay the towing bill. I don't know. He's he, on, off, away from her on camera. He said, I've never in my life. I've done everything in my power to help this woman out. And she wants it towed. I'm going to help her. I'm going to have it towed. We, you, that's our way. If we can just, no accountability. Oh, it's not my fault that I was driving with a suspended license. It's not my fault there was drugs in my car. Oh, they magically got there. It's not my fault that I went crazy and shot up a bunch. Of, it's not my fault that I didn't pass anything. And listen to me, parents. When you run to your children's every whim, and it's always the coach's fault, and it's always the teacher's fault, and it's always the police officer's fault, then you're raising a, listen, you're going to raise a, a pacifier-sucking bottle-driven child who will not stay married, can't keep a job, and will not stay out of jail. Mark my words. 
Raise your children to understand there's accountability in this life. There are repercussions for our behavior. I backed out of my driveway one time. I was about 18 years old. My car, my money. I'm not saying that arrogantly. My dad said, if you want a vehicle, you're going to have to quit sports, get a job, buy your car. So I did. I wanted a car more than I wanted to play sports. So I went and got me a car, 71 Monte Carlo, bad to the bone, fixed it up the way I wanted to, souped it up, headers, holly, aluminum in, all that business. One day, buddy of mine, we was over at the house. We are all hanging out. My dad was out in the yard doing something. And I backed out of the driveway. And when I backed out of the driveway, Daddy standing there, friend in the car and stuff. And I just hit the brake, jacked it up, and just burned them down right there in front of the driveway. Just, whoo, just roasting the tires. Just melting them off. My friend looked over at me and said, have you lost your mind? Your daddy's standing out there. We pulled back in. He said, I said, what do you think? Your tires, your money, you got to buy them. Have at it. My friend just shook his head. Point is, there's an accountability. Wasn't smart, and I'm not encouraging you to do that. But the truth is that ungodly thinking leads to no accountability. We don't, we don't answer to anybody. But as I've said before, that great theologian, Bob Zimmerman, y'all know that, that deep theologian, deep thinker, right? Better known as Bob Dylan. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It is, in this negation of truth, it's the creation of lies. He tells us right here in verse 21, he said, they have become vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, with the creation of lies, it says there's no God, so it's self-glorified. Why should I thank God? I am God. Through the great philosophers such as Frederick Nitschke and Carl Sagan who declared this cosmos is all there is and that God does not exist for he had killed him in his own mind. When we live a life like there is no God, we are self-glorifying. But the truth is, there is a God. You'll answer to him today, or you'll answer to him to that day, but there is a God. The creation of lies says there is no God. No God in self-glorification, but also no God in self-sufficiency. I don't need God, so why does there need to be a God? It's the whole Occam's razor. It's the whole idea of that which is most logical in empiricism. There is no absolute. Listen, the French Enlightenment is one of the worst things that's ever happened to mankind. Because it says we know it all. We don't need God. Look, that which is most rational has is, is got to be truth. That which is the most data, that which can be tried and true tested with our hands and seen that's got to be what exists but God is so far above any of that listen you can't take another step without God 
The negation of truth brings the creation of lies. I don't need God in my marriage. I don't need God in school. I don't need God on the job. I don't need God, but I've got news for you. You need God. You need God to even think that you don't need God. For without God, there is no brain function. There is no lung function. There is no abilities to feel and to exist. When there's an ungodly thinking, it leads to an unrighteous living. 2 Timothy 3 says, but know this. Difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of religion, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Does that sound like it was 2,000 years ago, or does it sound like it was written this week? Ungrateful. Disobedient, unholy, unloving, having a form of godliness but denying the power. You see what happens in unrighteous think, ungodly thinking, it leads to an unrighteous living. He said in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The unrighteous living causes us to have darkened minds. Darkened minds. It's evil thinking. I saw this past week where several Ohio pastors was caught in a child pornography ring. Evil thinking. There's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And the computer does so much good, but it does so much harm when allowed to. May I say that? When allowed to. It's up to you what buttons you push. Listen, if you say, well, I got into it and I couldn't get out, unplug it and throw it in the yard. I'm serious. He said, if it offends you, cut it off. Get rid of it. If you can't handle it, get rid of it. You can't handle a smartphone, get you a flip phone. They still sell them. That's the truth. Mike Kennedy can tell you where to get them. <laughs> Him and Leroy Jethro Gibbs uses the same kind. Darken my... But look, we laugh and joke, but I'm serious. If it is causing you a break in your relationship with God because it is, it is opening your mind for evil to enter in, get rid of it. Books that you ought not be reading. 
Some that give the idea of religion. Oh, I just want to learn and I can handle it and I can do all these things. Listen, evil thinking comes from darkened minds and it develops arrogant lifestyles. It said they became fools. They did whatever they wanted. They were proud. They were boaster. They even invented evil things. Being disobedient to parents. Arrogant lifestyle. I do whatever I want. Act however I want. Say whatever I want. Listen, it used to be a day where we respected people. We respected people. We, and still, you don't, you're not going to walk. I don't care if you're a juror or walking through the halls uh, 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 in the courthouse. Listen, you address him as judge, you address him as sheriff. Because, listen, that's who they are. That's their, their title. You respect that. I could have never dreamed. And I don't mean this. Don't walk away. Listen, you call me mad. I'm not going to be upset. But I'm saying for me, as a child, as a boy, I could not have ever imagined calling my pastor by his first name. Number one, because I was afraid of the backhand of my father. We didn't call our teachers by the first names. It was Mr. or Mrs. We were, you saw, preacher, I said, oh, yeah, look, look what the news got us. Y'all with me? Y'all done checked out? We ain't having service tonight. Come on now. Hang on just a minute. Are we really thankful? Or do we just go through this, oh, I'm a Christian, but nothing about our life. Our thinking, our acting, nothing resembles the fact that God is our creator. Jesus is our savior. The spirit is our leader. Everything about our lives says evil thinking, arrogant lifestyles, which leads to devious motives. Evil living. Just evil living. Y'all seen the news the last month? This one's done this, and this one's done this, and that one's done something else. Listen, every day. It's like, hey, let's see who can be more evil. Let's see how deeply depraved we can get. All this darkened mind, evil thinking, unrighteous living leads to the devious motives. And here's what they say in Hollywood and in writing and news. We just want to push the envelope. I'm going to tell you something. We, bet we need to sit, seal that envelope, put as much postage on it and send it back to hell where it came from. Amen? I don't know about you, but I kind of miss the days where I had four TV channels. Two, five, eleven in public television and TBS. That's Turner, for those of you who didn't grow up around Atlanta. We had ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, and the Turner Channel. That was all we had. And now you can watch filth from A to Z. And it used to be only even, even the, the obscure evil shows didn't come on until after midnight on Saturday night. And now it's on Disney Family. Amen? Parents, don't just turn on the channel and think, oh, it says family, it'll be okay. It won't. 
It's cartoons. Don't trust it. It's evil living. But you know what happens? Neither were they thankful. When we stop acknowledging he's God. When we stop recognizing that it takes the Son. When we stop seeking his will for our daily. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Right? We want to store it up. We want to store it up. They tried that in the Old Testament and worms got in. You can't store it up. We must depend on him every day. When we stop, there develops this ungodly thinking which leads to an unrighteous living which ultimately leads to an empty dying. He said in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There used to be a car tag in the 70s. And please, I don't mean this in an ugly way, but they did. Take it in the context I'm saying it. There was a car tag that people would have on their cars. These evil thinking Devious living people. And it says, drive like hell, you'll get there faster. The problem is in our life, we're living like the devil. And, and knowing good and well that judgment is coming, he says, they don't care. They don't care. They understand what unrighteousness will do. But they say, who cares? And they mock God. Today in your life, are you truly, truly thankful? Enough that you have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That God created it all. And your sin, your sin is part of the, what is the problem in this world. But that in God's love, He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And you acknowledge that, and in your gratitude, you come before His throne and plead the blood of Jesus so that you can say, thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you that you created this world. Father, I plead the blood in the fact of my sin and the sins of the world, and I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and cleanse me. God, establish your will in my life. Thank you that you cared enough to call me by name. To plan my life so that it can bring glory to yours. As they come to the instruments. Can we truly say praise God from whom all blessings flow? Or do we say, you know what? Like the rich fool said, look what I've done. Boy, I've made a good living. Look what I've laid aside for all my family. Man, we're going to have a throwdown this week. It's Thanksgiving week. And all that is is a time, not an attitude. We're not saying, God, it's because of you that we live in America. It's because of you I'm worshiping a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is because of you I've never laid my head down since I was born again where I doubted you didn't have me. Lord, on the days I don't even feel saved, you've got me. In the palm of your hand, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for keeping me. Father, I give it all to you. All to you I owe.